1: Welcome in everybody to another edition of the Go Twenty Four Seven Podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again for the new year is Shay Dixon. Shay, how are you doing today?
0: Uh, I'm doing well. I was. We were both there at the women's bat. We're recording this on a Friday, so we were at the women's game last night uh, at the Whiteout. Definitely the best crowd we've seen, certainly since your time on the beat, but in a long time. Uh, t-shirts out for everyone. They got out to a big early lead. You can read about Matthew's breakdown on the site. But uh, I guess any initial thoughts on what you've seen? Uh, a 14 and 2 basketball team now that really has no business probably pushing the number one team in the country to the brink, uh, but they did up double digits and then
1: sort of let it slip. What was Kim's reaction? That's what we really need. She was. You could tell she was just like, they're bigger than us. Is like, what what do you want us to do? Like, they're they have, they have like the best big big women in the big girl in the country, Aliyah Boston. So that's what's kind of but it was awesome. But like you said, I was like over 9,000 people there. Alex Bregman was there, uh Alvin Camaro Camaro was there. Uh, um uh Simone, Simone Augustus was there, obviously. So a lot of fun. Highly recommend for anybody who hasn't been to a women's basketball game to check it out. Cause I mean, they're like a top three team in the SEC, and I did not see that coming. So it's a lot of fun, and then we got a basketball men's game on the, Saturday.
0: Uh, ever that right, Tennessee. The, uh, and this is purely football podcast, really, but we'll we'll finish up here with some thoughts on the last night's game. The Boston girl. First off, she was a bucket in purple hair, I, and I googled right. her, and she doesn't always have purple hair, so I don't know if she was just straight trolling or what she was up to. But she dropped nineteen and eighteen, and literally got every offensive board you could imagine. And I walked out of the PMAC and I Googled her and I said, if this girl wasn't like some top five prospect, throw the hoop girls rankings out. Number one center, number three player in the country. And she's a junior in the country and then keeps them until they're juniors. And we'll see what, uh, what that looks like, but fun watching all the girls, uh, KP certified bucket, uh, a bunch of the other girls kind of had their moments last night. I think they had three of them in double digits, but, Got into a little foul trouble. It was all good. I honestly, I thought when they were up double digits, I was like, this. If Don Staley doesn't reel them in, this could get kind of nasty here. I thought and so too. Sure enough, LSU took some bad shots, and and South Carolina just <laughs> chiseled their way right back into the game and took the lead and never looked back.
1: Yeah. Um. But like you said, I I had, I had some. I was like, is LSU actually gonna like win this game? for a moment i was like are we watching like a top five team in the country and we don't even know it right now um and they still could be i mean they're probably a top 10 team in the country at this point so it's gonna be really interesting to see how they uh, they do moving forward um especially they played three ranked teams to this point and it's the same with the men's both of them just started off with really front heavy schedules so we'll see how basketball continues to go at that front at that point um but we got a lot of football to talk about. Obviously, it's been a couple of weeks since our last podcast, and since then, uh, the football team has wrapped up their season now officially. Even though it did feel like the season was over when they beat AM on the last week of the season, but they uh, played Kansas State in the in the Texas Bowl, lost forty two to twenty. We did get to see John Trey Kirkland at quarterback for those who wanted to see that, um, and I don't even think they had many other like um options there since uh one of the other walk on quarterbacks got hurt as well, right? And so it was only Tavion Falk and John Trey Kirkland were the two options. Is that correct? Yes,
0: that's correct. And what I think who did neighbors get some direct snaps maybe and then on the last play of the game, Jack Mashburn, uh with yeah. that quarterback and then tossed it to I guess handed it off and then tossed it to to John Trey for the what was a that last play was probably their best deep ball throw of the season. I mean that was a right. dive spiral on the right in Chris Hilton's breadbasket, running right across midfield. So that was probably for me No, we won't go into the bowl game much, but I will comment that it was fun watching the guys who showed up and played and, and laid it all out there. And, and certainly everyone across the SEC sort of commended them for that because, you know, the A&M back out of their bowl game very early. LSU had way less players, certainly could have had an excuse to back out with the coaching transition. Basically it was all analysts out there coaching minus a few spots, but, uh, they buckled in. Obviously, K-State was just going to out-physical them and run on them, and they did. But the last play was cool because K-State had just been celebrating nonstop pretty much the whole game. And it happened as time expired. So the K-State fans, like, weren't cheering because it was a touchdown, but they'd also won the game. Yeah. And then all the Yellow Shoe fans were going wild and cheering, even though they had lost the game. <laughs> so it was just sort of an odd moment where, like, LSU is just laughing, like, hot. That's awesome. K State fans are like, well, uh, I guess we're happy we won, yeah. but we also, <laughs> LSU's cheering. So this is weird.
1: Obviously, obviously, it's not the Washington. position. Yeah, obviously it's not the position LSU wants to be in, but this is kind of, again, from my time covering North Texas and some G5s programs, that's what it felt like, right? Like you get the late touchdown just to stick it to them one more time uh, as the underdog. So, um, but yeah, I, I watched the second half of the game because the first half I was at uh, Kentucky, uh, LSU versus Kentucky, uh, men's basketball. And so I watched the second half and I was like, okay, good. I didn't really miss anything here <laughs> um, as far as just like – Nope major takeaways or nothing. There was nothing crazy there, but I, like you said, I'm glad everyone fought, uh, fought hard. I mean, to have 38 scholarship players and to put up a fight in a bowl game is, is fun, especially Kansas state had everybody do spawn. Tyler Thompson. you got on the list of players. So, um, yeah, that w- that happened on January 4th. We're recording this on the 7th. And since we've last done a podcast, there've been a lot of staff hires Shay, there. Uh, we can run through it. Um, the guys that I have focused on have been the offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, offensive coordinator Mike Denbrock, um, quarterbacks coach, uh, the new quarterbacks coach Joe Sloan from Louisiana Tech, uh, running back coach Frank Wilson, offensive line coach Brad Davis being retained, um, defensive, uh, defensive coordinator and linebackers coach Matt House, uh, defensive lines coach Jamar Kane, uh, defensive backs coach Kerry Cooks, defensive backs coach Robert Steeples, and special teams coach Brian Poling. So where do you want to start when we look at all the coaching hires?
0: Well, and we'll add this, that they have one more spot available uh, that they haven't announced who it would be. We're presuming that's probably on offense, whether it's if Frank Wilson's the running backs coach, then are they who's the wide receivers coach? Or yeah. is it a wide receivers tight ends coach? Kind of how do they shift out the responsibilities? Because so far it was outside of the coordinators, uh, it was just, an assistant on that side of the ball and you kind of put the pieces together from there. So uh, I will note one more hire. We're expecting on field hires still to come, but let's start with the coordinators. Uh, and I guess I'll ask you about this because you did two pieces, one on Mike Denbrock, who was Cincinnati's offensive coordinator. And then one on the defensive coordinator, Matt house, who had been at Kentucky uh, prior to a stop at the Kansas city chiefs. And you kind of looked at what, uh, how he fared in the sec. You did Denbrock first. Let's start there. I'll give the backstory. You give your immediate takeaways. These two, Brian Kelly and Den Brock, have worked together before at multiple stops. And whenever Denbrock's Brock's name got floated around, it made sense for those reasons, right? Like they've got familiarity with each other. Den Brock's, you know, an OC at a place that, uh, yes, Brian Kelly's been before. They were together at Notre Dame. But now at Cincinnati, they've been in the spotlight. They've run a good offense. They've certainly gotten – Uh, into the college football playoffs, ran into a buzzsaw against Alabama, obviously. But uh, the next day, the word comes out, what, that Denbrock is taking the LSU job. And not a surprise. It's sort of already been reported a bit, but now LSU fans say, okay, cool. What does that mean? What are we getting? So get us into the simplest form of it here, Matty B. Is it, is it an I-form attack? Is it a shotgun attack? Are they under center? Is it a spread offense? How would you, what sort of pocket does Matt De- or Mike Denbrock's philosophy fall into?
1: Yeah. For those who want to read the story, like she said, it's on our site. Uh, you might have to be a little bit of digging at this point. It's a couple of days old, but Mike Denbrock, um, analysis, I think will get you there in the SEOs, uh, but it is a more of a spread concept, uh, they did use a lot more 12 personnel, which is one running back and two tight ends type stuff this past year. And in uh, in his time at Cincinnati, um, I could see that expanding a bit to just more 11 personnel with the receiver talent that he's going to have at LSU. Um, he does seem like he is capable. I mean, he is um encouraging his quarterbacks to be a little bit more mobile and, you know, roll out a little bit more. It gives them a little bit of freedom in that respect. Uh, he's not afraid to take shots. I really like the RPO stuff he has um, just to give, and the pre-snap motion stuff that really gets defenses off balance. So that's kind of the, the gen, the generic version of it all. Um, I have obviously video clips in the story and everything like that to give you a really, really good uh, breakdown of it. Um, and I'm not a coach. So that's, that's, I always preface it by saying that, but, you know, just looking at it, it is an offense that is exciting because I think it hits on a lot of things that we wanted from Jake Peets, just in terms of, of aggressiveness and being able to counter things that a defense does to take away your first option. And I think it, he just kind of runs it better than what LSU did this year, right? So it's, it's not going to be – I don't think it's going to be a complete overhaul like maybe the defense could be, um, even though I'm, you know, shaking on that. But it is going to be something I think fans are going to enjoy. And I was skeptical going in because a lot of it was like, oh, Cincinnati – and, you know, the fans, when they got announced, it's like they just didn't score a touchdown against Alabama, you know, and they looked overmatched. I was like, yeah, it's Alabama. I don't know what you want me to tell you here. Like they they can't match up for them on the offensive line. It was pretty clear they couldn't block them. So um, I, I do think Denbrock's style is going to be something that, can work. And it's just about implementing it. It's about getting a quarter, the right quarterback. Cause he's had Desmond Ritter. He's had Deshaun Kaiser when he was at Notre Dame. So he's had a little bit more mobile guys and, you know, Miles Brennan isn't slow. He's pretty fast. So we'll see how he uses him uh, or Garrett Nussmeier um, as well in, in that system.
0: What? Okay. So philosophy wise, we heard Brian Kelly say he was telling recruits, this is, was from the mouths of recruits that, I haven't hired an OC yet. This is before Denbrock got announced, but it'll be my offense. So when you watch Notre Dame, And now you've watched Denbrock, how much are they aligned? And maybe I presume that means run to set stuff up. It seems both seem to like to run the ball.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They ran the ball, I believe it was 53% of the time last year, Cincinnati did. And I assume, I believe Notre Dame was around that range as well. So it all kind of starts with the run. uh, And I think that's where the offensive line is just going to be huge. We knew that going in, Brian Kelly's offensive lines were going to be the staple of this offense. Uh, If he can manufacture faster offensive lines the and the offensive line talent he had at notre dame i think that lsu is going to be in a really good hand because off of that i can see den i can see denbrock's passing schemes kind of off of the run really really well so if brian kelly brook comes in it's like you know obviously you want to establish the run and if we i think one thing we forget is early in lsu season just how much they did not run the ball because ty davis price had the florida game and we thought you know late in the year we're like okay they can run the ball now early in the year we've Unless you didn't run the ball at all and so I don't it. yeah I don't think that that's an option under Brian Kelly and under Denbrock I think it's pivotal and I think if nothing else they're going to attempt it in every single game so yeah no you you hit it the nail on the head the run game is going to be kind of the common denominator between the two and then what they do off the run game I think is where Denbrock can really excel
0: you touched on in your piece as well about interesting wrinkles that Denbrock's had when he's had a quarterback who can run the ball and they, i mean you noted you'll, yeah. they'll give it to him six seven eight times a game on design you know designed quarterback runs miles brennan i guess to me wouldn't fit that like he's had multiple injuries are you really trying to run him the whole time he could be yeah. a pocket passer for you where do you see beyond okay we know what they'll get from brennan we've seen him play even in three games he was an 1100 yard passer he can throw the football probably won't run it a ton but does Walker and Nussmeyer and maybe who they have in the future trend more towards mobile quarterbacks?
1: I think you know because Max Johnson, I think, would have is the mo- most mobile out of that group, and obviously he's he's gone. So I think you look at Nussmeyer, and I think he can throw on the run. I don't look him as a runner. Uh, Walker Howard's another guy I think can throw on the run, uh, but isn't quite that Desmond Ritter type, you know, that we saw with Cincinnati this year where they were running quarterback powers, quarterback um, draws. And so that is an element I'm interested to see is how does he use Miles Brennan? Um, cause I don't, I, I need to see Miles Brennan more, you know, since we've seen him last, which is three games into the year in 2020. Uh, but I just don't know if quarterback read options is going to be the type of thing that Denbrock's going to install. I think it's going to be kind of, I don't want to say basic starting off, but it's going to be probably more just start off with the run, establish the run, and then just pass concepts off that. So I don't, I don't see it being as dynamic, uh, as far as with the quarterback run game early on, uh, in his career. So we'll see. And he's also not to take a shot to Sean Kaiser. Uh, Sean Kaiser was a second round quarterback. He's a good quarterback and Desmond Rio is really good quarterback as well. So, but, these quarterbacks that he has in the room this year and moving forward are going to be kind of just really, really good passers of the football. So we'll see what he does with that. um, If he expands off of that as well, there's a lot of unknown, I think going into this, because Denbrock and Kelly haven't worked together since what 2016, I believe.
0: What uh, when you think about as well, we'll wrap up with this question and we'll switch to defense, but you've talked about the philosophy. They'll run too tight, too tight ends at times. Uh, He'll still spread it out, but run it. Um, We talked about the mobile quarterback usage, and you pointed out in here that at different points in his career is really favored when he gets one-on-one matchups with, you know, their guy. They like to take – he'll take the deep shots. And so you could say, okay, if he sees Keyshawn Boutte getting one-on-one coverage without safety help, he's going deep to him. If you think from Will Fuller to, you know, whomever Cincinnati's had, they've never had Butte, and they've never had a Butte fuller is certainly a great player yeah but a Butte and a neighbors and a thomas and a jenkins and you know you continue to go jack Bess you go down the line yeah are you curious to see if that forces denbrock or allows denbrock to maybe stray from what his normal philosophy might be given you're gonna have more weapons at receiver than you've ever had you can run the ball for all sure. you want but you've got options when you want to throw the football
1: yeah oh, for sure and That's the one thing when, I mean, I watched the Notre Dame, uh, back in 2015, uh, and then I watched some Cincinnati, uh, this year and Cincinnati against Houston, especially. And that's where the athletes are kind of comparable on the outside. And he threw a lot of one-on-one stuff, like just a lot of, uh, if he saw that it was a one-on-one matchup on the outside, he gave rid of that green light a lot. So that, that is an area that I'm really fascinated to see because it felt like, Denbrock just watching his offenses it felt like all right this is what my team is good at and this is the skill set that we have and if you give him a Keishon Boutte Malik Neighbors, good on the list of talented receivers that LSU has and can get this could be really really exciting and dynamic because I think he's an aggressive offensive coordinator I, I think he's even though he lines up in like 12 personnel at times and can line up a little heavy He's not. I mean, he looks for the explosive plays. I think more than people give him credit for. So that that is something I'm I'm looking forward to seeing from from him.
0: We'll flip over the defensive side now. Matt House. He was with the Kansas City Chiefs as the linebackers coach, but before that, he was at Kentucky and uh, for a few years. And Kentucky's obviously been very good across a stretch of uh, of time now under Stoops, where uh, they've continued to be competitive in the SEC East and get big wins over teams like Florida. Um, let's start just basic concept. Is it fair to say that he is a three, three, five staple type person, or is this a multiple defense type look?
1: It, I, at Kentucky, it was a three, three, five, uh, pretty comfortably. Uh, I could see it being a little more multiple, maybe four, two, five, that type stuff. Um, I can see him being a little bit more versatile with the personnel he gets at LSU, but at Kentucky, man, it was three, three, five all the way. And he had Josh Allen at an outside linebacker. And that was the most interesting part of the defense is you have that Jack linebacker that can blitz the quarterback and Josh Allen ends up with 17 sacks on the year. So um again, uh, y'all can check out the story. It's on the site, but that three, three, five was really interesting to me because it, it, it does lend itself to some versatility and some of the talent that LSU has. It does put a lot of pressure on the linebackers, but the defensive lineman that LSU is going to have next year, I think, can really cause havoc. Like Kentucky that year was creating a lot of havoc on the defensive line, and I think that is an area where LSU can um, can uh, kind of follow that that their footsteps there. I will say though, it has been what three, four years since House has been in college. I mean, he's been in the NFL. Maybe he takes some NFL concepts that he saw. Uh, I am very open to this being different than what it was in 2018 for Kentucky. Uh, but just looking at that 2018 film of Kentucky, it is a aggressive defense, uh, a zone heavy defense and something that worked really well for them. Obviously, I think they held teams like 16 points a, a game that year. So great, great resume, great um, defensive coach. And I'm I'm excited to see how kind of how he uh, schemes it up at LSU.
0: Um, let's say it's a three, three, f- five, Matty B. Where does B.J. Ogilari – people would say that B.J. Ogilari might be their best returning defender. I know Mason Smith, there's a lot of really good young guys, but Ogilari will be a junior. His brother was a first-round draft pick. He's already said he's coming back. He's not transferring out. He seems to continue to get better and better. He was the third-down pass rush specialist for a lot of time. Then he became a full-time starter when they didn't have anybody else. But he's starting. What? How big of a piece is he to a defense like what House wants to do?
1: He's He's – probably the most important piece, honestly. Uh, and that's where, uh, like I said, that Josh Allen outside linebacker type role, we saw B.J. Ojolari kind of touch on the outside linebacker when they went to 3-4 this year, uh, once after the bye week. And Ojalari and Mike Jones at the outside linebacker positions did really well. I think Ojalari is more of that aggressive outside linebacker slash def- defensive end that house would use in that three through five system, and that's what's exciting to me, and I think that's what has the fans excited is kind of unlocking BJ Ogilari on the outside there because he is so versatile, he is so fast, he's so talented, and you give him that opportunity. I mean, we could be looking at a guy that ends the year with double-digit sacks, and if that's the case, I mean, you open it up for Mason Smith, you open it up for other really talented defensive linemen to go from there. So, I um, I'm. I think that that position is probably the most important. Uh, obviously, the two other two linebacker positions are important too as well in a three three five. And we'll have to see how they fill it out. Whether that is Mike Jones, Greg Penn, you go to a list of players. But I mean that that spot specifically is going to be fascinating to me if it is in fact a three three five over type scheme that that house runs.
0: Man, I guess we'll wrap up there. You you, you kind of mentioned in here he's been in the NFL. If you're at LSU, do you trend to more NFL? type schemes are you going to run a 4 two, 5 um so kind of your gut tells you there might be some flexibility in here in terms of they'll t- we'll see Look, he's got a spring and a summer and a fall camp to feel it yeah. out but this could be multiple this could be a thing where you know they have some 4 two, 5 looks they have some three-three-five looks and and it's kind of able to you know keep people on their feet in terms of you know how they're going to defend you
1: yeah um definitely definitely i could see it changing up i i mean even if they wanted to go to like a three, four, I think could be really interesting because we saw three, four this year be really successful with Ojolari and Jones on on the outside. And then you kind of uh, fill it in with the linebackers from there. So I I think there's a lot of options for him. I think he's going to be aggressive. And I think that that's going to be really exciting because we've seen him do really good work at Kentucky and you give him these LSU athletes and that's going to be exciting. Now, uh, when we look at the, I want to flip it to you for a second. When you look at the, assistant coaches that have they've brought in from a recruiting standpoint and just a personnel standpoint, just how do you feel about them as a whole and what, what they bring?
0: Um, I'll give you the two biggest new hires that I think they made um, on the off. Well, one side would be Frank Wilson. Uh, I think if you're Brian Kelly, you're coming from a career Midwest Northeast guy, uh, 30 years of coaching up there head coaching uh, and you haven't been in the SEC. You haven't been in Louisiana Uh, you know you were going to have to hire some guys on staff that knew how to recruit the state. You couldn't have hired a bigger name than Frank Wilson. You mentioned he's been head coaching experience at UTSA, then at McNeese. But prior to that, he was at LSU. He was running things as recruiting coordinator uh, during the Les Miles era and was really known for basically being involved in every recruiting board, most notably in Louisiana. He would help go get it done. So If you're worried about Kelly not knowing everybody down here, maybe he's not as big of a recruiter, certainly like a guy like Orgeron, who's known as a a head coach, really recruiting with um, being there across, you know, with every kid and having a relationship. If Kelly's more of the type who's the head coach, hey, I'm going to delegate that out to other people. Uh, Frank Wilson's a massive hire. It, It doesn't get bigger than that. He can help stabilize things in Louisiana. I thought that was huge. The flip side of that would be Brian Polian, I think, because Polian does have familiarity with Kelly, a lot of it. So he's a guy who I think can take a lot of what he expects Kelly to, you know, or what he knows Kelly's going to expect, how he knows that Kelly wants things to run. I've already seen Polian has sort of led the charge on the transfer portal. we got Miles Frazier. they got a long snapper, um, to that, uh, Brennan, obviously. Um, but he's the guy kind of handing out offers and, and sort of feeling out that, bridging the gap on how to rebuild the roster Notre Dame he had a recruiting coordinator title they haven't given out that title yet uh at LSU you'd presume it'd be him or Frank Wilson um so I think those two guys are massive pieces they help with recruiting they help with team you know everything you look from there I the one guy who was retained was Brad Davis and Matty B I think you have to feel like especially with what you saw from him through the bowl game and we got to hear him speak, and we got to hear the players talk about kind of what he means to them. I think Brad Davis won over the team uh, across that stretch, and, and they really have a lot of respect for him. And we saw the O-line, look, he had just gotten here. They signed four or five guys. Some of them were even committed. Campbell and them were committed before Brad Davis even got here. But those guys also, they had a great relationship with him. I guess you can share your thoughts, but I like that hire a lot.
1: Definitely. I mean, we talked about, obviously, Corey Raymond leaving – And, um, other position coaches leaving Andre Carter, um, as well. So it felt like you had to keep somebody from, from the past staff, just for continuity sake, just a bit. And who better to keep than the interim head coach of a bowl game that they had a whole month to spend with him. And while coach Carter and coach Raymond, obviously, and all all the pretty much all the position coaches that they had. Yeah. Baker um, was great. Yeah. Baker. I mean, all of them, they're great coaches. You're going to get great coaches at LSU. But when you have a coaching change, you have to change things. Like you can't just expect him to retain half of the staff here and move forward, especially with a guy as pedigreed as Brian Kelly, who obviously knows what he's doing. So that was never really a problem to me. Like, obviously you want to keep Corey Ram. You want to keep Mickey Joseph and all those guys. But at the end of the day, it happens. It's part of turnover. And it's part of if you really want to rebuild this program, you have to rebuild it from the from the bottom up. And so that's where it kind of starts. And so I don't think anything was wrong with any of those coaches. You just, it's part of the rebuilding process. And so that's, what's going to be interesting to me is how Kelly, not only how he constructs this, this uh, coaching staff, because it's almost done to this point, but how they kind of approach the, the talent acquisition aspect, and then just building relationships as well. So um, that's what I'm excited to see moving forward here. Do you got anything else on the coaching staff before we move forward?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like Sloan, Joe Sloan on the offensive side. They hired him from La Tech. He was serving as the interim head coach during their transition, but had been offensive coordinator. And uh, And the other one was Mark Kane. And that was the most recently announced for LSU, but he'll be the D-line coach from Oklahoma. And that one really is just interesting off the base of the fact that he was on the Oklahoma staff. Lincoln Riley wanted to take him to USC. He said, okay, but I'm staying at Oklahoma through the bowl game. And the kids all love him. They respected that. He's recruited really well. And then whenever Oklahoma season ends and he packs up to move out west to join the staff at USC, Brian Kelly and LSU sweep in. They offer more. They get a deal done. Now he'll be the D-line coach at LSU. Um, that, like I said, that was officially announced now. And everybody at OU were happy that he's burned Lincoln Riley after they got burned by Lincoln Riley. Uh, but they said, look, you're getting a, a knockout, knockdown. He's been recruiting all over the country, because that's kind of what you got to do at Oklahoma. Um, And the players on the roster seem to have developed well. He's risen up the ranks quickly because he was at a bunch of other schools doing really well, Arizona State, sort of kept moving up all the way to OU, uh, and now LSU. So I don't point to any of these hires yet and say, like, I don't get it like that, guys, like seven years. He's from the NFL, and it's a retread hire. Like, none of that's really going on right now.
1: All right, Shay, let's move on to um, the roster turnover, because as we know here at LSU, there has been plenty of that, whether it is players declaring for the draft or the transfer portal. Um, Where do you want to start when we look at roster turnover? I don't know if we have to go through all the names we have here on the list, but where do you want to start?
0: Okay, so obviously, you know, a lot of guys don't have eligibility left. Um, Austin Deculus would be one, Liam Shanahan. Uh, Glenn Logan, Andre Anthony, uh, these guys were all seniors who used that COVID year and came back for another year, um, trying to see if there might be Cameron Lewis, uh, Darren Evans. So there's guys that weren't able to come back. So let's run through the guys who are declaring to go pro and would have been able to come back. They're running back in Ty Davis. right. They're O-line at Ingram, he's not coming back. And obviously we noted Deculis and Shanahan are done. On the D-line, you've got Farrell, Logan, and Anthony who are not coming back. Uh, On linebacker, Damone Clark announced he was turning pro. That would obviously be a big one because he did have a year of eligibility remaining, but nobody's shocked by that. He had an awesome season. Uh, He's striking while the iron's hot. This is where it gets sticky for me, Matty B. At cornerback, Stingley, Flott, Evans. Evans is out of eligibility, but Stingley and Flott are turning pro. Stingley, not surprised by. Flott, a lot of people are surprised by. Toss in that Eli Ricks is transferring to Alabama, and all three of your starters at cornerback this year are not going to be on the team this year, despite all three having eligibility remaining. So corner becomes an immediate thing I look at. Uh, We mentioned Lewis at safety, then your specialist. Avery Atkins already said he was turning pro. Cade York has not said anything yet, but he's fully expected to go pro. He's an NFL kicker. He will be kicking on Sundays next year. When you listen to that, and, and then I'll give you this: you still have who haven't they're draft eligible, but they haven't said anything. John Emery at running back, though he did tweet or put on Instagram that he was locked in with a little tiger emoji. So I guess that means he's not transferring and not going pro.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: Chase and Hines committed to the NFLPA Bowl, but said, "I can pull out of it if I want. I really haven't fi- made a final decision. We'll see if that's true or not." Ali Gay at D end, Sony Fanu at the end, Baskerville at linebacker. Jared small at widebacker who got hurt this year. So he's got an extra year. And then Todd Harris at safety could technically come back for another year. If he wanted to, when you hear all that, look at all that, what jumps off the page is golly, they're going to have to fix that. immediately. like that's an immediate area of
1: concern. You, you talk about the the defensive backs and the defensive backs is obviously probably the, the main area. When you look at it, as far as Stingley Flott and Rick's goes, uh, not for nothing, losing Ali Gay and Sony Fanua, who I thought were really, really good defensive linemen, uh, is going to take a hit to your depth, as long with Neil Farrell and Glenn Logan. So the depth of the defense line is going to be something they're going to have to replenish. There's a lot of areas they're going to have to replenish this year. Like, that's not a secret. Like, we, we know that this team is going to have to take serious steps forward in rebuilding, and that's why Brian Kelly is so high on trying to get – um trying to get players out the transfer portal just to kind of bridge the gap a little bit because there's only so much you can do in your first recruiting class right with players out of high school because you don't have those relationships anymore so that's going to be kind of the glue to this whole thing and so i mean we haven't talked i mean you mentioned it Cade york and avery Atkins. if you lose both of those two you have specialists to replace right or with either freshmen or, or transfers so um I think they're going to be fine at like receiver, running back, even if Emery goes or stays. I think they're going to be fine either way there. Um, quarterback, we know what they are at quarterback. So, and you return guys like Jack Besh uh, at receiver. So, I think you're really just looking at the secondary and you're looking at depth across the board, defensive line, linebacker. I mean, linebacker depth. It's like, well, do we even know what linebacker depth looks like at this point?
0: I mean, we've never, now Josh White was hurt all year but Sampa has been hurt or, you know, maybe academics at times, either way he has been here a couple of seasons and has never really played Josh white. We haven't seen really at all either. Granted again, this year he was hurt the whole year. There was a time where walk on Jared small in the spring was like getting first team reps, Yeah, but then he got hurt for the whole year, right before the UCLA game. So, I mean, they did go coast to coast with Baskerville and Clark and then, Mike Jones Jr. started playing some and they kind of shifted up their philosophy and he became a little bit more important piece. So Mike Jones Jr. and Greg Penn, who starting the bowl game, I would guess then are the top two options. If Baskerville doesn't come back, if Baskerville does come back, he's obviously mixed. But I'm with you that linebacker would jump out immediately is you need help there because not only do you need depth, you really don't even know who you're starting. I mean, you would presume Mike Jones and Greg Penn.
1: Yeah. I mean, that might be the easier game is what positions do you not need depth in at this point? I think it's probably, I guess, quarterback and running back, I'd say. I mean, Goodwin, Kiner kind of lead the charge there. So, I mean, receiver, I, I guess you feel pretty good at, but you obviously want as much receiving talent as possible um, with the players that you've lost this year, just as seniors and Deion Smith as well. So, Andre Palmer. So, it's it's an uphill battle i don't have the answers as far as how many transfer portal guys are going to get but it feels like they're going to be filling up those seven at the very least
0: well and then there was we kind of figured this out through lsu's compliance who had confirmed it that they would have 15 signees right now 14 15 14 uh, and then you can sign you can sign 25 and then add seven more through the portal but you can also in this current crop of 25 sign transfers so like If they felt like it, they could sign 15 more transfers, really. Um, Now, they won't do that. There's still some high school players out there that will sign. But point being, you can go heavy in the transfer portal as much as you want. We've seen them hand out a bunch of offers. They've handed out receiver offers. They've handed out linebacker, offensive line, um, cornerback. You know, you go up and down the list, pretty much every position. I'll give you one that I'm curious of. And I just thought of this again because of what we talked about at the beginning with Mike Denbrock and Brian Kelly that hell they'll go to they like to use two tight end sets at sometimes LSU doesn't even have two tight ends on the team right now. I was gonna say you got Cole Taylor on scholarship who sort of took a backseat to Jack Besh, and then when Jack Besh moved receiver Mashburn the walk-on started and so once again Cole Taylor was behind so you've got Mashburn who is a walk-on former high school quarterback and you've got Cole Taylor and then they just signed Mason Taylor. So yeah you've got three guys but one's a true freshman one in Cole Taylor is a guy that is probably more of a receiving threat. That's what he did in high school, certainly. So he's not like a pure blocker or any of that. And then Mash who can just block for you. I'm wondering if he's a tight end or two, given how much they would like to use them in the offense. It's just, I know tight ends not the sexy position to talk about. And, and we thought everyone got excited when Eric Gilbert signed, and then he lasted six or seven games. And everyone got excited when Jake Johnson, the number one tight end, was coming. And then he flips with his brother to A&M. So, rough run on tight ends, bad fortune. Um, I'm curious how they sort of fix that.
1: I mean, it's like, for, so the tight end position is interesting because I agree. They, they need transfer portal tight ends, but they need transfer portal a lot in a lot of areas. And while we've seen offers go out, as far as just social media goes, we've probably seen, what, 10, 12 offers, something like that in the portal. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, And it doesn't feel like they've been really serious offers, really outside of Miles Frazier, right? Like
0: kind of like guys that are like picked up fifteen offers in two days type thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like Jacob Cowling from UTEP. So I watch a lot of Conference USA football. Jacob Cowling from UTEP is a really, really good receiver uh, at the G five level. He's probably going to be a good pickup for Arizona, where he ended up going. But it's like when I saw that offer, I was like, okay, yeah, they could they could use Jacob Cowling. And then it never really felt like anything subsidize off it just feels like a lot of i don't want to say empty offers but it feels like a lot of offers where it's like yeah we're gonna just put this one here put this one here and miles frazier the one that you know they actually like went a little bit all in on they end up getting so i'm waiting for that kind of push right now and you can maybe correct me if i'm wrong but that's just what it feels like right now yeah
0: i think that for sure it seems like they press. i mean they brought frazier in on a visit and all that granted we're in a dead period right now yes. we'll see who they bring in for visits when we get out of it but um maybe we just haven't seen either yeah it's been a lot of offers and maybe that's what you do if you've got five or six receivers that you're like okay i like them they're solid and then they're getting offers from 15 20 schools all right well let's throw our hat in the mix with all of them and see which one of them kind of bites and is kind of serious about all right i'm i am pretty interested in lsu um i could see it being that kind of approach which is fine and when you've got 15 16 spots to fill and you know you got to go heavy in the portal there's no reason really to not just throw, I mean, you can throw your hat into the name for every kid. And as you mentioned with the UTEP kid, if you ultimately say, we may be able to get someone a little better or whatever it might be, then you just don't press them to commit. It's not a yeah. big deal. You've got the offer out there. That's at least got your foot in the door and, and you figure it out from there.
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we've already covered the players transferring out on, on previous podcasts. Um, you, you went through the players, uh, without eligibility left. So that was good. Um, I think we've covered pretty much all yeah. the all the roster so trans- turnover,
0: And your transferring in would be Brennan, Miles Frazier from Florida International, the offensive tackle that we presume is a day one starter there, um, maybe even at left tackle. And then Slade Roy, the long snapper. We did not see Quentin Skinner, their scholarship long snapper, in the bowl game, so maybe that has something to do with it. Um, but, yeah, just three guys coming in so far. We'll obviously update you guys on, uh, on what else we hear. Um, look, I guess we can just wrap up by saying – We'll watch for how many guys, because that affects how many transfer guys they can take. How many more high school guys are they going to take? Well, Jacoby Matthews, the safety out of Ponchatoula, who had a great All-American week, uh, is going to announce in February. Uh, Trevante Citizen, the running back out of Lake Charles, a top 10 running back, is going to announce in February. Both those guys have been committed to LSU before. Um, Obviously, it was under the Orgeron regime, uh, and then they decommitted, so... Do you get them back in the boat? Um, certainly, the staff will be working hard there in January with school visits and in-home visits and trying to get them on official visits. And Harold Perkins has been a popular linebacker name that's remained unsigned. He'll sign in February, but he committed to A&M uh, this past weekend. So, you know, did they get anything there late, trying to push him to get him on campus and change his mind? We'll see. Um, and I know people talk about like tight end Danny uh, Lewis at Westgate had a big state championship game. He had been committed to Cincinnati, where Den Brock is coming from. Do they make a move on him? But I don't think you're getting beyond, at least in Louisiana, you know, three, four, maybe five guys that you offer and and maybe yeah. you get a few of them and, and maybe a couple others stick with what they're doing or whatever it might be. So I'd expect them to sign that, you know, three, four, five more high school players and and don't, you know, no need to reach on anybody. Don't just offer a guy that you don't really think will maybe ever even play or as a super long-term guy feel good about the guys you want, and then just go into the portal. When the dead period ends, who do they start bringing in? Because that changes it from, hey, we offered you to, hey, we're really serious and we want you to commit. So come to campus with your family and spend time around us and check it out. That's when we'll know kind of who they're really serious about the portal. But I will say early on, if they needed a long snapper, good job of taking one, the East Carolina kid and Slade Roy, but a quarterback and a left tackle and a quarterback being Brennan, who – Is only here for one year, so he's not scaring off the quarterbacks behind him. He gives Nuss and Howard some time to develop. And then a left tackle in Miles Frazier, who PFF, Pro Football Focus, had at the end of the year as the highest graded offensive lineman in the country. So you'll take those two. It kind of reminds me of if the recruiting class is falling apart and you still have Will Campbell and Walker Howard, you kind of feel good about it, right? (laughs) Those are your five stars in Louisiana. And I love Emory Jones and Wiggins, a lot of other guys. But that was sort of just the rhetoric was, Those guys never wavered and that made you feel good. I think to start out the portal, the fact that you got a quarterback that starts next year and a left tackle that starts next year that you both know what you're going to get out of them, I think is a a really nice start.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, That is a good start. And while that does make me feel a little bit better, I still just look at this uh, depth chart sheet that I got. uh, I think the first day of practice you gave me and i still have it and i'm just like all right there's some uh there's some holes to fill still so did
0: you run out of ink scratching everything out
1: oh yeah so this is like i haven't touched this probably since like week seven or eight i actually don't even know what you've been right now. Let me see. yeah i haven't touched like week seven or eight and you see andre anthony Ali, gay uh, eli ricks Derek, stingley just all these names crossed out and so uh, yeah that 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 was it was that type of year to say the least
0: well, and we'll talk about, yeah, we'll talk about this more on the board. We're, we're, we're done with this podcast and, and more on later podcasts. But people are in this debate right now of is this like, is LSU back in the, like fighting for the playoffs next year, back competing for the West next year? Is this some like total rebuild? And, and maybe you can argue it somewhere in between. And I'll just leave my thought here short and simple. You were five and five two years ago, you are six and seven this year. That's 500 football, including the first losing season since 99. There's a reason they've cleaned house and fired Ed Orger on two years after three years after national championship, whatever it would be, 2019 to now, and brought in Brian Kelly and allowed him to have autonomy to hire this complete staff. It's because you recognize this isn't something that's going to get fixed immediately. We need to have a total, not just total rebuild, but at least someone come in and put their mark on this program. And if I'm Brian Kelly, I'm doing the Kim Mulkey approach and it's
1: when I'm asked,
0: how good are y'all going to be this year? And this is what she said before the season. Yeah. Granted, they're 14-2, and two, so it works out great for her, and everybody loves her. But she was asked, okay, what's the expectation for this year? And she said, improvement. She said, okay, well, how many wins does that mean? And she said, well, how many did LSU win last year? Nine? Okay, well, then we'll win 10. That's all I can promise And yeah. I can win you one more game than they did before, and then we'll see where it goes from there. So if I'm Brian Kelly, and he ain't going to go out there putting out picks, but I'm saying – we'll win at least seven games and we'll see how far it goes beyond that. But maybe more importantly, we're going to rebuild this roster. We're going to retain guys. We're going to reset the culture. Uh, We're going to have guys not academically ineligible across the board where you're going to the bowl game with 39 guys. Um, And if you've instilled that sort of new approach to the program and you win seven, eight games, you're going to win more than that the next year because you've now pushed yourself back into the right direction. So We'll have plenty of time this offseason to debate how good they'll be next year. We don't even know what the roster will look like, so it's sort of too early to do that. But I do think this is – I'm not carrying any sort of expectation that this is some double-digit win team, that they are great. Um, but I think there's a reason that if the roster is really where it's at, and we're seeing it, and academics are where they're at, and perhaps that is then affected into the spring and, and into the summer – it's not going to happen just like that. You, you know, you snap your fingers and everything sticks. So give it time, patience, LSU fans. I know that's not easy coming off a couple of lackluster seasons, but what you're hoping here is that you have some improvement next year and then you see where it goes from there. Because as we've noted in the podcast already, Brian Kelly and Nick Saban have the two best win percentage across college football. He knows what he's doing. Whether that happens in year one, maybe, maybe not. He's probably not taken over a roster that was just depleted. But The future appears to be in good hands, uh, at least if if you're asking Scott Woodward, who paid him a lot of money to come in here and get the job done.
1: Yep. Uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, And not for nothing, this SEC West, it looks like it's getting better by the day. I mean, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Zach Evans, Ole Miss. Yep. Yep. Texas A&M's continue to improve Um, Alabama, like we've talked about. So it's not going to be easy for LSU, even if they do hit their ceiling next year. It will be hard every single game in the SEC. So, you know, you take it for what it is and you instill it and you instill your culture and you just go from there. I don't have expectations for next year yet. Maybe ask me come like June and I'll be out here yelling for nine wins. Who knows? But yeah, there you go. But that is all we have for y'all today. We appreciate y'all joining us. Uh, If you are listening on Spotify, uh, feel free to follow, send to a friend. On Apple, leave us a five-star rating and review. Uh, Check us out at go247.com. Check us out on our board. Uh, If you're not a VIP subscriber, you can become one for $1 for the first month. So take advantage of that deal. Um, And yeah, uh, Shay, myself, and the entire staff, uh, thanks y'all for joining us. And we'll talk to y'all later